All right, as you reach for your Bibles, would you also stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning? Turning to the book of John, chapter 19, reading verses 25 through 30, Pastor Bruce continues his message series, Cries from the Cross. This morning we look at the cry of victory. We're in John, chapter 19, verses 25 through 30. If you have a pew Bible, you can find it on page 625. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. They filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your sacrifice on the cross, Lord, and that you accomplished all that the Father had intended, God, to bring us back to you and to save us. God, may we be forever thankful and forever changed by these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Kirk alluded to, we are uh, continuing in our series that we've been in for the last few Sundays, a series that we have been calling Cries from the Cross, and basically what we've been doing in this series, uh, as most of you know, that if you've been here, uh, we've been looking at the, the seven saints, or the seven uh, last saints that Jesus spoke from the cross while he was being crucified. And so far we've looked at uh, the first five of those sayings, or the first cries from the cross. And next Sunday we will actually conclude this series, and we'll look at the, the seventh cry, the, the seventh saying that Jesus spoke from the cross. But today we want to focus on the sixth cry, uh, and perhaps the greatest cry that Jesus spoke from the cross, the greatest words that Jesus ever said. And those words are, it is finished. It is finished. Now, do you ever feel like your life is littered with unfinished business or unfinished projects? You don't have to raise your hand on that because I think we all probably do. We all uh, have, you know, stuff like half-read books sitting on our nightstands or our shelves or on our desks, books that we started to read but have yet to finish reading them. Uh, some of us may have half-eaten meals that are going bad in our refrigerators. We may have half-finished laundry waiting to be folded or ironed. We may even have half-finished stacks of articles, papers, and piles of junk that just need to be sorted through, filed away, Whatever the case may be, most of us still have a pile of junk left from hobbies that we picked up for a while, and then we got bored with it, and we abandoned it, and now we see the evidence of it sitting in our garage, basement, or room, or whatever the case. There's probably an unfinished project waiting for you right now at home. How many can raise your hand to that? Yeah. I know I have a half-finished remodeling project that still needs to be completed in my house. I'm reminded of it every time I walk in the garage and I walk up the stairs and there's no carpet on those stairs. 
It's just bare wood. Not a finished wood floor, just bare wood, like two-by-eights. And, uh, you know, and it's got spray, you know, paint half on it from when we painted the, the sides of it. And you know what? I've kind of grown to like it a little bit. <laughs> I hope my wife has too. But it's unfinished. All of us have unfinished business cluttering up the highway of our lives. All of us go through life leaving behind a trail of unfinished projects. I mean, how many have heard of Michelangelo? You know, the, the, the one who, the great artist of all time, one of the greatest artists of all time, and he would often begin a project only to abandon it in a fit of anger. In fact, when he died, he left more unfinished works than ones that were actually finished. And so while most of us here can probably identify with this, we're all in the same boat, most of us have unfinished business, unfinished projects, hanging over our heads. But Jesus, oh man, what an amazing statement he makes. Jesus finished everything he started. He accomplished his mission. And that's why as Jesus came to the end of his life, he could say, as none of us could say, it is finished. No wonder Jesus' sixth cry from the cross is a triumphant cry of victory. Notice again what it says in John 19, verse 30. It says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. The Bible tells us in the other gospel accounts, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that Jesus actually, he didn't just say this, he didn't whisper it, but he shouted it. He shouted, It is finished! So this was not a uh, the despairing cry of a, of a helpless martyr. It was not a cry of defeat. Oh, no. This was a triumphant shout of victory. And then it goes on, and it says at the end of verse 30 there, in John chapter 19, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. We'll look at what that means next Sunday. Uh, when he actually says, Father, I commit my spirit into your hands. But just imagine with me for a moment, when Jesus died on the cross, what do you think the Roman soldiers thought at that moment? I'm sure the Roman soldiers thought something like, oh man, we're finally finished with this radical insurrectionist who could challenge Rome. He's finished. When Jesus died on the cross, perhaps the religious leaders thought, we're finally finished with our competition. He's dead and gone now. He's finished. I wonder what the disciples thought. These, this band of believers who, who followed Jesus for three years, maybe they thought when they looked at Jesus dead on the cross, oh man, the dream of the kingdom that he talked about, it's finished. When Jesus died on the cross, perhaps even Satan thought to himself, oh wow, I got the victory. The Son of God is dead. He's finally finished. But when Jesus said, it is finished, well, take notice, he didn't say, I'm finished. What does he say? It is finished. And there's a big difference between those two. Jesus did not say, I'm finished, because he wasn't finished. We know that three days later, what took place? He rose again, and he's alive today. He's certainly not finished. But Jesus did finish the work that his father sent him to do. In fact, this was his one 
and only goal in his life while he was here on this earth. We're told this in John chapter 4, verse 34. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples these words. Look what it says. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus' death, it was not the end of his life. Folks, listen to me. It was the accomplishment of his mission. As Max Lucado writes, who is an author and pastor, he says these words, The history-long plan of redeeming man was finished. The job was finished. The song had been sung. The blood had been poured. The sacrifice had been made. The sting of death had been removed. It was over. So no wonder Jesus could now shout, It is finished. Now, just focus on those three words for a moment. It is finished. That sentence or that phrase, it's interesting. It's actually one word in the Greek language. And that one word in the Greek language is this, tetelestai. It's the word tetelestai. And that word tetelestai means it is finished. It means it stands finished and it will always be finished. It's a very significant word because it signifies a successful end to a particular course of action. For example... It's the word you would use if you were to venture out and try to climb Mount Everest. Can you imagine climbing Mount Everest? And if you actually summoned it, made it all the way to the top of Mount Everest, would you not be pretty excited about that? Man, you would shout, if you did this back then, you would shout, Tetelestai! It's finished! It's the same word you would use when you cross the finish line of your first 10K mile. Uh, Kirk understands this a little bit. He runs these 5K, you know, not quite 10K. You don't run a 10K? A half of one. He's run a 5K. That's, that's more than what I ever want to run in my life. But let's say you venture out and you're like, I'm going to run a 10K. And for the first time, you're like, wow, man, I finished it. You know what you would say? It is finished. Tetelestai. It's the word you would use when you finally make the last and final payment on your house mortgage. You're like so excited to Palestine. It's finished. It's over. So this word, while it is unfamiliar to us in our culture today, I mean, we don't use this word to Palestine, but let me tell you, it was a very familiar word in Jesus' day. In fact, it, had, it was used in many different ways as well. For example, artists would use the word to Palestine after painting a picture. And they might say something like, the picture is finished, to tell us die. Servants used the word when, when doing their task and they would report back to their masters and they would say about their work, their job, to tell us die. I have finished my job. Priests would use the word to tell us die when examining an animal for the sacrifice. And they would examine it and they would say, Tetelestai, the sacrifice is perfect. It's ready for sacrifice. Soldiers would use this word after winning a battle. The enemy is defeated. Tetelestai. Merchants used the word Tetelestai after a bill was paid off. And they would say, the debt is paid in full. Tetelestai. So in shouting this word, that Jesus shouted in the Greek, to Tetelestai, in the English, it is finished. Jesus gives us the most important and significant and triumphant cry in all of history. In fact, this word, it's an amazing little word, because it actually sums up everything 
that Jesus did for us on the cross. Now, I wish we had time to look at everything that he did, everything that he accomplished, but we don't. So I want to answer the question, what did Jesus finish on the cross? What did he accomplish on the cross? And while we don't have time to look at everything, I do want us to focus on three things this morning. I want you to see, I want you to walk away from here understanding that when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it. It is finished, and here's three things that he finished. Here are three things that he accomplished, and it makes a big difference in my life today. Even 2,000 years later. So number one, look at it. Jesus finished his suffering. He finished his suffering. From beginning to end, Jesus lived a life of suffering. In fact, we could say that in many ways, Jesus was born to suffer. When you think about his birth, and normally we, we typically think about his birth at Christmas time. And when you think about his birth... He was born in a smelly stable. His crib was a feeding trough. His pillow was straw. But folks, all that is finished now. John chapter 1 verse 11 tells us that Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. In other words, when he began his preaching in his hometown, his neighbors threatened to stone him and drove him out of town. Even his own brothers did not believe that he was really the Son of God. Jesus became homeless. He was a wanderer, for there was nowhere to lay his head. But all that is what? Finished now. You go back to the Old Testament and one of the prophecies that Isaiah makes in Isaiah 53.3, and he says Jesus was despised and rejected by men. He was opposed by the priests and politicians of this world. The king of Judah pursued Jesus with a sword, forcing him to become an exile and a refugee in Egypt. The religious leaders wanted to kill him. Even his own friends betrayed him when he needed them most. But all that is what? Finished now. Isaiah 53.3 goes on and it also says, Jesus was a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. He was mocked by the soldiers. They put a crown of thorn on his head. They stripped him. They scourged him and crucified him. And then they ridiculed him some more. He was in agony. He was thirsty. He was forsaken by his father on the cross. But all that is what? Finished now. Jesus reminded his disciples that he was destined to suffer in Luke chapter 9, 22 when he says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Listen, no one will crucify Jesus on the cross ever again. Why? For he has finished his sufferings. It is done with. It's completed. And thankfully, Jesus' sufferings have come to an end. And although we as his followers, we suffer for different reasons in different ways in this world today. Listen, folks, we can take heart that our suffering will someday come to an end to. Is that not something to be thankful for? 
Whatever you may be facing here this morning, whether it is physical suffering, whether it's an emotional burden, whether it's some type of relational issue or whatever the case may be, someday we shall be able to say it is finished to the child whose father has mistreated him to the woman whose husband has abandoned her, to the person who is suffering from a terminal illness. Someday those wounds will come to an end. So take heart, follower of Christ. Take heart, child of God. Someday we too, like Christ said, we shall be able to say to our suffering, it is what? Finished. But suffering is not all Jesus finished on the cross. Listen, if the only thing that Jesus finished on the cross was his earthly suffering, then his life was nothing more than a tragic waste. And his death was no different than our death. So what else did Jesus accomplish on the cross? Well, look at it here. Notice it on the screen. Number two, Jesus defeated Satan. Jesus defeated Satan. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says the reason the Son of God appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. And that's exactly what Jesus did with his death on the cross and resurrection three days later. Now I have to admit that I do, I wish somehow, some way, a video camera had been able to record the drama that took place in the spiritual world that day in Calvary. That one of the angels had an iPhone and, you know, and just you know, panned the whole drama as it played out. Because, folks, listen to me. There was a cosmic war was being played out between Satan and the Son of God. And from a human standpoint, from our standpoint, it looked like Satan had won. I mean, here's Jesus on the cross. He's beaten, he's bleeding, and he's dying. Satan thought he had finally destroyed the Son of God. Satan was expecting Jesus to say, I'm finished. But what he got was something totally different. Satan himself was finished. When Jesus said, it is finished, Satan's stronghold on humanity, on our lives, was finished. I love what it says in Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 15. Look at it, and I think this verse is actually on the back side of your notes. Look what it says. It says, when you were dead in your sins, and that is so true. Before our life in Christ, folks, listen to me, we are dead spiritually. And there is no hope for us apart from the life that Jesus Christ can give to us. So Paul says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, notice what God does. God made you what? Alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities. Whose powers and authorities? Satan's powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, picture with me a courtroom scene. And believe me, you can do it because we see TV shows all the time with courtroom scenes. So picture that with me for a moment. And God is there. And he knows better than anyone, better than we, 
the extent of our sins and our guilt. Satan is also there, and he is our accuser. And he shows up to make his case against you, to make his case against me. And he reminds God that the wages of sin is what? Death. He reminds God, God, your justice demands that sin be paid for. And the penalty for that sin is death. And it's like he sticks it in God's face. Listen, you've got to be true to who you are. And that's when Jesus stands up and he says, if I can quote Paul's words in Colossians 2.14, hey, I forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and he's nailed it to the cross. In other words, Jesus is saying, I paid the penalty for sin with my death on the cross. And when Jesus said, paid in full, that penalty was canceled once and for all. And then God strips away Satan's arguments to accuse you of sin by pronouncing us forgiven. And then God disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, what does all this mean? Well, if I can simplify it this way, it means Satan was totally, completely, utterly defeated at the cross. It means Satan can't destroy us with the guilt of our sin. So you know what he, how he tries to destroy us now? He tries to destroy us with fear, and especially the fear of death. But even that is futile. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Folks, listen to me. Do you realize what this means for us today? It means we no longer have to be under the power of Satan because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. This does not mean that we will never be tempted by Satan. But it does mean that Satan has no rights over our lives. Paul reminds us of this in Romans 6.10 when he says, when Jesus died, he died once to break the power of sin. Yes, we were once under Satan's control. But Jesus paid the price of our redemption. Therefore, we no longer have to be under the power of sin anymore. In other words, we don't have to be under the power of hurts, habits, and hang-ups in our lives that hold us back. Why? Because we've been freed by what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so now, when I come to the cross, when I come to Jesus and I humble myself, and by faith I invite Him into my life, I get a new power to stop doing things I can't stop doing on my own. When Jesus gives us power over sin, He gives us a supernatural power, a supernatural ability to say no to things we couldn't say no to previously. Not that we're never going to sin anymore in our lives, but now we have the power not to sin. We have the power to make that choice because now we have new life in Christ. 
So when Jesus died on the cross, listen to me, He defeated Satan. And when He defeated Satan, He conquered His power over sin in death. You say, wait a minute, man. Seems like Satan is still alive today. Yes, Satan is defeated. He's a defeated foe. And yes, he's still running around trying to wreak havoc in people's lives. You can almost make the analogy, he's like a chicken with his head cut off. You've heard of that before? He's dead. He just doesn't know it yet. But he's finished. He is finished. Perhaps an illustration will help us to better understand the idea of this. A father and daughter were traveling in a car. And while they were driving, the father noticed that there was a bee in the car with them. And this was a pretty serious situation because the little girl was extremely allergic to bee stings. And it could actually die if she was stung. And it, you know, was serious enough there. Well, as the bee flew toward his daughter, the father reached out with his open hand. And when the bee saw his hand, it landed on his palm. And the father closed his fist as the bee dug his stinger deeply into his skin. About a minute later, the father opened up his hand and set the bee free. Well, the little girl, as you can imagine, was terrified, petrified when she saw the bee buzzing around her again. The father looked down at his little girl and said, Honey, don't worry. That bee can't hurt you any longer. The stinger is in my hand. He may buzz around and try to frighten you, but he can't harm you now. Listen, that's a perfect picture of what Jesus did on the cross. A perfect picture. Listen, Satan planted his stinger into the hands and feet of the Savior. And because Jesus took the full brunt of Satan's sting, his power has been nullified. It has been diffused. Satan can buzz around, and he can cause problems, and he can paralyze you with fear. But he has lost the war when Jesus shouted, It is finished. That's why Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 57, he says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's one more significant thing that Jesus accomplished on the cross that I want us to focus on. Number three, Jesus paid for our salvation. He paid for our salvation. Before Jesus died on the cross, as we already said, humanity was in bondage to sin. And we deserve to die because of our sin. In fact, the Bible says it pretty clearly that the penalty for sin is death. And so a price had to be paid to redeem us, to buy us back from sin and death. And the price of our redemption was a perfect sacrifice, a price that you and I could never pay ourselves as sinners. And so what did God do? In His love, in His mercy and grace, He sent His only Son to die in our place as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. 
And that's why, if you go back to John chapter 129, when John the Baptist sees Jesus for the first time, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus said, It is finished, He was in essence saying, I am the Lamb of God and I've paid the price in full. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, listen to me, He paid it all once for all. Now notice what this means exactly coming up on the screen. Jesus paid it all once for all. It means the sacrifice for sin was paid by Jesus Christ. And the payment for our sin was accepted by God the Father. Now don't miss this. This is significant. This is critically important for us to grab hold of. When Jesus paid for our salvation, folks, listen, He paid it all once for all. This is where the word tetelestai becomes very significant. Remember, we said merchants or businessmen. They would actually write this word tetelestai on a receipt or they would stamp it on a receipt after a bill was paid off. And it basically meant paid in full. It means that the purchase has been made and that no more money is owed. Now, believe it or not, we still use this phrase, paid in full, even 2,000 years later. We don't use the word tetelestai, but we use the meaning of it. I just got a reminder of that in the mail just last week. It says, Dear Mr. Adrian, welcome back. We are pleased to have you continue as a subscriber to Ski Magazine. Your order has been processed as you instructed, and your bill is attached. Now, if you could take a moment to send us your payment, we'd be most grateful. That way, we can mark your account, get this, paid in full, and make certain you receive every issue with no interruption of service. Thanks again for renewing your subscription cordially, Ski Magazine. Pretty cool, huh? A vivid reminder of what Jesus has done for us. Paid in full. It means that once something is paid for, you never have to pay for it again. Hallelujah, right? In fact, paid in full means that once a thing is paid for, it is foolish to try to pay for that thing again. I mean, can you imagine making your last car payment? And then choosing to go ahead and send in monthly payments to the bank? Would would anybody here do that? No way. I mean, can you imagine paying off your student loans and then calling up the government and telling them, oh, by the way, I'm going to continue to give you money? Who would do such a thing? Can you imagine paying off your mortgage and then telling the bank you want to keep making house payments? Who in their right mind would do such a crazy thing? In the same way, when Jesus paid for your sins, He paid for it all, once for all. Do you know what this means? It means you don't have to pay for your sins. It means you don't have to keep paying for them. Hebrews 7.27 says it so clearly. He, that is Jesus, sacrificed for their sins once for all when He offered Himself. Once is paid for. Get this, there's no need to ever offer any more sacrifices. There's no need to ever pay the price again. The 
The word finished is just the perfect word to describe what Jesus did on the cross. Listen to me. When Jesus died on the cross, He paid the full price for your sin and for my sin. And the beauty of that is, that payment that Jesus paid, His sacrifice, was accepted by God the Father. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, in alluding back to the Old Testament sacrificial system, It says day after day after day after day, and I'm adding words in here now, day after day to emphasize it, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, who is this priest? It's Jesus Christ, folks. When this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. Now that phrase is beautiful right there. How many of you, when you get done mowing the yard in August, and it's 98 degrees with 98% humidity, and you get done mowing, you're like, yeah, I think I'm going to go mow my neighbor's yard, and after that, my other neighbor's yard, and after that, my other neighbor's yard. Nada. What do we do? We go inside, we get a tall glass of water or a tall glass of iced tea, and we have a seat. Why? Because we're finished. Yes, it's finished, and we admire our work. We sit back on our deck and we go, man, my yard looks awesome now. Looks great. Or if you're like me now, I sit on my deck and watch my boys mow the yard and say, you guys are finished. You did a good job. Pretty good. I like that. While I'm drinking my iced tea. Listen, that phrase, the works of Jesus is complete. He is seated not standing because the price has been paid and the payment has been accepted by God the Father. And it's interesting what happened as soon as Jesus gave his final cry. If you go to Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, it says, At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rock split. You say, man, what is happening there? What's happening is that the way to God now is open. Instead of only the high priest being allowed to enter the Holy of Holies one day of year, entrance into God's presence was now available to everyone who was willing to come through Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus paid for our salvation once for all with his death on the cross, and that payment was accepted by God. No wonder Jesus, as he hung on the cross, before he died, said, Paid in full to telestai. So let me ask you a personal question here. Not just a personal question, folks, but a critically important question. What sin is keeping you back from God today? What is holding you back 
from entering into the presence of God through Jesus Christ when He's already paid it all once for all? Is it anger? Is it lust in the heart? Is it immorality? Is it greed? Is it some kind of addiction? Is it pride? Is it stealing, cheating, lying? Or is it any other sin? Well, here is the best news you will ever hear. It doesn't matter what your sin is. It doesn't matter how many sins you have piled up in your life. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how guilty you are. All of our sins have been stamped by God with one word. Tetelestai. Paid in full, once and for all. So let me summarize what we've learned so far. What did Jesus accomplish on the cross? Well, He finished His suffering. He defeated Satan. And when He defeated Satan, He conquered the power of sin and death. And He paid for our salvation. What a Savior, right? That's why it is finished are the most important words you will ever hear in your life. What Jesus accomplished on the cross was so awesome, so total, so complete, that it could never be repeated again. Not even by Jesus Himself. Why? Because Jesus' work on the cross is finished. Do you know what that means? Look at it, coming up on the screen. It means you and I can't add anything to what Jesus has already done on the cross. Get this. All of our efforts to add anything, whether we think it's big, small, or minutia, it doesn't matter. All of our efforts to add anything to what Christ did on the cross are doomed to failure. Friends, there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. There's nothing you can add to what Jesus has already done. If Jesus paid it all, then you don't have any more payments to make. And if you try to pay for your salvation, it means you don't think He paid it all. To say it another way, how many of you guys like watching HDTV? Oh, yeah, we got a few. I like that. I like the, my, one of my favorite shows is the, the shows where they flip houses. Flip this house. You know what I'm talking about. They go in, they buy these old jalopy dump houses, and they go in, and what do they do to them? Fix them up. They refinish them, right? And then they resell them and make $50,000, $100,000 of them. And I'm like, man, how come I can't do that? You know? I'm like, well, I don't have the talent for that. That's why. Or the time. And they refinish those houses. And while they can do that to a house, folks, listen to me. You and I, you cannot refinish the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. True. There are some things in life that improve when you add to them. Right? How many of you would like to go into your job tomorrow and find out they added a couple of zeros to your paycheck? That's a pretty good thing, right? But folks, some things are destroyed when you try to add to them. What if I took a brush and decided, you know, that Mona Lisa, I think I could do a better job. I'm going to add my own strokes to it. Ludicrous. I would destroy the Mona Lisa, wouldn't I? I would destroy its value. What if I took a chisel and decided, you know, 
Michelangelo, I know he chiseled out that sculpture of David, but you know, I think I could do a better job. I think I can add my own touches to it. Ludicrous. I would destroy it. Then why would anyone think they can add anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ? It's ludicrous to think so. So don't try to improve on what God has already done for you because you can't. There is nothing you can contribute to the payment that Jesus made on the cross for your sin. There is no penance you can do. There's no good work you can perform. There is no punishment you can endure to pay for your sins. When Jesus said, it is finished, He meant it. And folks, I'm telling you, man, that is the most glorious, beautiful difference between what Jesus came to do and all other religions in the world. In fact, the difference between what Jesus came to do and all other religions in the world can be summed up in two letters. Every other religion has two letters in it. You know what they are? You've heard this before. It's D-O. Do. They just have a different list of what to do to earn favor with God. What to do to get into heaven. What to do to do this. So they have their own list. Every religion, you got to do this, you do that, you do this. And hopefully it's good enough. Every religion has their list of do's. But Christianity adds two more letters. D-O, what is it? N-E. Done. Done. Finished, complete, which means we don't have to do anything. Why? Because Jesus has already done it all on the cross. Amen! Listen, Jesus' work on the cross is what? Finished. This also means that you and I only have two options. You can only accept or reject the finished work of Jesus. There's an old story that many pastors have told for many years, and perhaps you've even heard this story before. The story goes like this. There was a rather peculiar evangelist named Alexander Wooten who had finished speaking one night at a revival And as he was shaking hands afterwards, he was approached by a flippant young man who asked, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And the evangelist looked at him and said, it's too late, son. It's too late. And then he continued shaking hands. Well, the young man was rather alarmed by this. Grabbed the evangelist's hand and said, what do you mean it's too late? Is there nothing I can do to be saved? Too late, Mr. Wooten said. It's already been done. You're too late. All you can do is believe it and accept it. Folks, that is the question of the hour. It's the question of the day. It's the question of our lives. It's the most important question that we can contemplate and ask ourselves and answer it in all honesty. Have you accepted the finished work of Jesus on the cross? 
or are you still rejecting it? Listen, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, today can be the day of salvation. You say, what do I do? Nothing. It's by grace through faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. And if you're here this morning and you're ready to accept God's free gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, then I want to invite you to come to the cross, to come to Jesus. I want to invite you to receive Him, to accept Him into your heart. And to confess your sin in a prayer, and through prayer, invite Him into your life. How many are willing to do that this morning? Will you bow your heads with me? How many are ready? How many are tired of trying to pay for their sins over and over again and coming up empty? How many are tired of trying to be good enough, do good enough, and it never works? Listen, Jesus has done it all for you. And if you're here this morning and you're ready to accept the finished work of Jesus, then I invite you to follow me in this simple prayer. A prayer of inviting Jesus into your heart. Jesus Christ, thank you that you've done everything. I need to be saved. You've done everything I need to be forgiven for my sins. You've done everything I need to be reconciled to God and have the gift of eternal life. Jesus, thank you for doing it all. Thank you that it is finished. I want to trust you as my Savior. Please forgive me of my sins and save me. And with your power, I want to live for you. Thank you for giving me new life in you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Listen. If you prayed that prayer, it's not, it's not the words that are so magical. It, it's, it's your belief and commitment to Jesus Christ. It's your willingness to accept what Jesus has done on the cross. And you're simply expressing that now through prayer. And if that's something that you did with me, man, I'd love to know about it. I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to welcome you into the family of God. We'd love to celebrate with you. We'd love to help answer any questions you may have. We have materials on the back table there. There's even a book on the back table called Anchor for the Soul that goes into all of this in a simple way. Would, would you just, as your way out, fill out that communication card on the side of your bulletin and just mark, hey, I prayed to receive Christ. Or even tell me in person. You know, I'm so thankful for the finished work of Jesus Christ, aren't you? And what he did on the cross and the difference that it makes in our lives. And I want us to take a few minutes to remember the finished work of Jesus through the Lord's Supper, through participation in communion. And so what I want to do is to invite those of us who profess to be believers in Christ, those of us who profess and we're not ashamed to be called Christ followers, to invite us to participate in communion. The bread, as you know, it represents the broken body of Jesus Christ as a sacrifice on, on, on the cross. And the juice represents the shed blood of Jesus, the blood that was paid for our salvation. Dana and Kim are going to sing here. And as they do, I want to challenge you to use this time while they sing to, to go to God in prayer. Offer up your thanks. Pray to Him. And if maybe you've got some unconfessed sin in your heart as a believer to, 
to do business with God. Listen, Jesus paid it all, didn't he? And so now when we come to him and ask for forgiveness, what does God promise he will always do? Cleanse us and forgive us and make us righteous all over again. He will make us ready to participate in communion. What a beautiful thing. And so while they sing, this is your opportunity to give thanks, to remember, and to confess sin. Make things right if need be. After they're done singing, the instrumentalists will continue to play. And as they play, then we can stand and we can walk to one of these four tables throughout the auditorium and we can take the bread and the juice and we take it back to our seats and, and uh, participate in communion. Mm-hmm.